Hello and welcome to Two Fat Expats. I'm Kirsty Rice and I'm here in Australia just for a few more weeks. And with me is Nikki Moffat, who's in Copenhagen. Say hello, Nikki. Hello, Nikki. No, hello, <laughs> Kirsty Rice. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not doing the usual beginning because we're doing something a little bit new this year, which we started last week. And it started because we said that 2022 is starting to feel very much like 2021 in that we were wondering, are we moving forward or are we just tracking along in the same way? Part of how we're going to see how we're tracking this year is we're going to play a little game of would you, could you at the beginning of every episode so that we can sort of see what are the rules like where Nikki is on her side of the world and where I am, wherever that may be. Okay, so Kirsty, would you, could you go anywhere you like without a mask in your hometown right now? No way could I not. We are nowhere near not having masks, but I do believe, Nikki, it's very different where you live. 100%. On February 1st, I called it National Demasking Day in Denmark, so... On on the day of January 31st, it was essential to wear a mask everywhere and anywhere in Denmark. And then on February 1st, it was not. So um, all most of its pandemic restrictions were scrapped because uh, it's COVID is no longer considered a socially critical disease, mm-hmm. even though we're still over 40,000 cases a day, which is the equivalent of a million cases a day in the US, just to give perspective, because as we've said before, Denmark is quite small. But despite the surge in Omicron, we've got a very high vaccination rate and a high booster rate. And we have we have people in hospital and we have deaths every day, which is sad, but relative to the same time last year and relative to the number of people who have had COVID, it's it's much it's a much smaller percentage. So Nikki, a question without notice because we have we have a smaller population in South Australia and they're um, they're the numbers that I kind of look at because we're a bit different than Sydney and Melbourne um because they yep. have higher populations. So we have at the moment roughly around twelve hundred cases a day. There doesn't seem to ever be more than sort of five people in the ICU. And it's a big deal if if there's like Three. Today there were four deaths in the last 24 hours and it was newsworthy. So how does how does that equate in your part of the What's world? What's the population of South Australia? We have 1.8. Okay, so nearly two. So as a rough thing, Denmark is about three times the population. Yes. So we're having 40,000 to 50,000 cases a day and divide that by three, it's still a lot more than 1,200. <laughs> so how many, do you know what, when I say 1,200, I reckon that's new cases. So how many new cases a day? That's new. Have? cases that's oh, new gosh that seems a lot for such a small place well, that's what i'm saying like <laughs> relatively it is a large amount it's equivalent to the u.s having a million cases a day yes. so it is we we have a lot of cases we have 20 people in icu and i think 14 of them are on ventilators and we but we have about between 15 and 20 deaths a day so mm. that's if you had four deaths that would be the equivalent of us having 12. So we're, because yeah. our case count is many times higher than yours, we're mm. obviously then then on that road there. But yes, that's that's the comparison between where you're living and where I'm living right now. So Nikki, knowing that you have all those cases, and I know that you are still trying to avoid getting COVID, um, are you still wearing your mask? Uh, weirdly, not. So except to the supermarket. So... I like in the street, no, and I don't really go to that many other places, although I went to a restaurant last night to meet a friend for dinner. But in the supermarket, yes, and there's about 5% of people in the supermarket still wearing masks, but that's it. It's like there was a national demasking day. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we're at. We'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, we, we so far... Have uh, have have avoided COVID, but I just I feel like we've either all had it and been asymptomatic, or it's just a matter of yeah, a matter of days. Where as I say, we're always twenty four to thirty six hours away from a test <laughs> confirming a case. So, Nikki, would you or could you call it Chinese New Year in Denmark? Yeah, so interesting that because I have always called it Chinese New Year because of my six years in Hong Kong, and yes. to me that's my relationship with it and of course 
in Australia, in Sydney, where I came from, there's also a large Chinese community. So in the past 20 years ago, before I left Australia, it was always called, it was also called Chinese New Year. So I personally have always called it that. When this came up and I saw it in the group. And which group would that be, Nikki? Sorry, and that would be the Two Fat Expats Facebook group, one of the best groups going around, <laughs> 32,000 people who can tell you anything you want to know about anywhere in the world, that, it, that you know, it was called different things in different places. I thought, that's of course, that's true. Yeah. And so I had a little look around in Denmark and it seems to be titled Lunar New Year in Denmark. Yeah. Um, I'm the same as you. I kicked off my expat life in Indonesia. It was always Chinese New Year. And I was interested because this did come up in the Two Fat Expats um, Facebook group. And it was, you know, someone from Korea said, only foreigners say Chinese New Year. And they'll be promptly corrected that it's Lunar New Year. Or now I'm going to get this wrong. Siolao. So I think that's like lunar, right? Moon, yes. Moon. moon. Soul would be moon. <laughs> yes. Bear with me, people. We're just yeah. we're just starting. And uh, that it's never Chinese New Year. And then in Vietnam, it's called Tet, but they'll say Lunar New Year to expats sometimes. And and evidently in Vietnam, nobody would ever say Chinese New Year. Um, or and in the south they'll be offended if you call it Chinese New Year. So Nikki, I feel like I've been educated this week because you know I I just without thinking have always called it Chinese New Year because that's what it was called where I was at the time and I, I yep. didn't question it and and now it makes so much sense that of course it's not going to be Chinese, Chinese New Year in other places like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And the more you know, let's let's put in that file and yes. move on. Kirsty, would you could you travel to Qatar with the same amount of paperwork as in the before times, which would have been a ticket and a passport? Not a chance. Not a chance. So exciting, developing news. I have a ticket booked to go to Qatar on the 22nd of February. Um, I cannot believe it. It will be nearly two years since we, I always want to say fled Qatar, but it was, you know, quite quite the drama in husband newly diagnosed with bowel cancer and school shutting down and COVID on our shoulders. Um, so I'm on my way back and the amount of paperwork required for me to get back and, and of course, all sorts of things have happened. My residence permit has expired. My driver's license has expired. I've lost my telephone number, which is a very sad state of affairs. Um, Everything is different. Now to get into Qatar, you need a special app, an Etihad's app, uh, which everyone in Qatar talks about incessantly because it's the only way you can get from A to B, you know, from C to D, and uh, I don't have it. So there is so much that needs to be done. Today's excitement was I downloaded my international vaccine certificate that has all the batch numbers and all of that so that I can get those things happening. But yeah, there's a whole new process. So yeah, it, nothing is straightforward. Now, Nikki, you work for a company where you employ a lot of people from different parts of the world and there is travel involved. And I think that is part of your job, isn't it, to organise that travel for those people. So how's it looking for you? Is it just a straightforward ticket and a passport? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And we have what we call in Europe and in the UK and sort of the little part of the world that I've been dealing with, the passenger locator forms. And basically you have to upload them before an airline will let you check in for a flight and they can only be completed within 48 hours of your arrival. In places like the UK, you have to have pre-booked tests on arrival with a unique identifier number that then has to be put into your passenger locator form um, to prove that you will be tested on arrival, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, Italy has a different passenger locator form to Spain and also 
also the passenger locator form requirements change every week. So just so you filled one in last week doesn't mean you're going to know what you're going to have to fill in when you go this week. Some weeks they require you to have the uh, seat number of your plane ticket. And some weeks that's optional. It just depends what the COVID numbers are doing, I guess. You know, some weeks you have to have every piece of vaccination information. Some weeks you can just have what we call in Europe the green pass or the QR code, which lets you travel between European countries. There is a lot to do and it's not about, you know, I mean, and intra-Europe in the olden days, in the before times, you could just go with an ID card, not even a passport necessarily. But yeah. now you have to put all sorts of passport information. For the Italian passenger locator form, you have to write where you were born on the form when you're applying to get into the country. Do you know There's who just I, a lot. Do you know who I think about when I think about these things? I think about 19-year-old backpackers and yeah. those people that are, you know, would have a lot of difficulty organising these things because I I have people in my house who are 19 and 20 and 21 Um, and I I do have a child that is hoping to travel to Europe, you know, towards the end of the year. I keep thinking, God, remember in the days, Nikki, when we were backpackers or travellers, young travellers, and there was, you know, there was no mobile phones or any of those things no. and you would ring your parents every second Sunday, you know, from a payphone <laughs> or do whatever and you just found your way around. I mean, now with these guys, everything is so much more complicated, isn't it? But I, I would hate to be someone that was like, oh, well, I'm going to go to France in March and I'm going to Italy two weeks after that and then I'm going to go to Spain and then I'm going to like just the paperwork itself. Would uh, well, we yeah. say paperwork, just the uh, digital work itself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, it's, Nikki, it's quite a thing. Moving to our topic of the week, New Zealand has been a, a point of conversation definitely this week because they have just lifted um, their travel bans for uh, Kiwi citizens and residents. But it has been a really, really tough couple of years for Kiwis and and I would argue that perhaps the Kiwis have done it tougher than anyone else in expat Kiwis and those who have been stuck in New Zealand trying to get out too. Uh, I had a drink with a girlfriend last week. Her father's just been diagnosed with um, motor neurons disease. He's in New Zealand. She's in Australia. And she was just waiting to sort of see when she was going to be allowed to fly in to see him. Um, I just think our Kiwis have had to have such a high level of patience and perseverance and many of them are completely done with waiting, particularly when you see that New Zealand has a 90% double dose and 70% boosters. Um I imagine there's a lot of Kiwis in other locations thinking, well, what are we waiting for and why can't I get in? Now, Nikki, you have a girlfriend called Kerry who uh, lives in Denmark and she has a fabulous Instagram page where she takes the most beautiful photos and we will put a link to her Insta page. But you had shown me uh, something that she had written and I just thought um, as a writer, God, I wish I'd written that because that is the perfect explanation. And she was discussing about heading back to New Zealand and how she would feel about heading back to New Zealand after basically being, you know, banished from the country for two years. And the expression she used was it would be like having coffee with an ex and that that's how she would feel. And I just thought that is exactly it because I think those of us who have been expats who have been banished from our countries, who have read all of the nasty comments online, who have heard people say, well, you shouldn't have left in the first place, um, they feel like they've sort of been in a bad relationship where they've where somebody has just said too much and the nastiness has come out and now they've got to get back together again and uh, be civil 
I've just I, I thought that was that was very very clever. Anyway, Nikki, I um wanted to speak to our Kiwi friends, and I spoke to Bridgie, who lives in Saudi. And Bridgie's situation is she is married to a beautiful Scottish man, and so she has children who have dual citizenship in both the UK and. Uh, in New Zealand and they have been expats, you know, their entire sort of lifespan of having kids. And um, so I interviewed her and I began by asking her how long it had been since she'd been to New Zealand. It actually was five years. And and pre-COVID, had you had plans to go to New Zealand? Had you sort of thought? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, we had because we we moved and that we moved to, to Saudi um, in the 2019-20. And we said that we had actually meant to go, to, we were meant to go for Christmas that year, that 2019 Christmas. But because we were moving and in the process of it, we put that on hold. But said, don't worry, you'll see us next Christmas. Yeah. Which was the 2000 and we didn't obviously go. Yeah. When was your first memory of um, or first feeling of, Oh, sure. I I don't think we're going to be able to get in for a while. And 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 when you saw it, were you thinking, oh, you know, this will last a few months, or this could be really tricky? Um, and I expected when they start closing the border and they said the MIQ process, which was just played by complete bots all the time, so there was no way. I I enrolled on that because I just kept thinking, well, well, there's an emergency and I need to get there in a hurry. And so, Bridge, just just for the people that don't know, can you explain what MIQ is? Because it's quite unique just to New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah. So before you board a plane to New Zealand, whether you're a citizen, permanent resident, you have to apply. You have to enrol and get a space and manage isolation and quarantine. And there are emergency allocations for that, but generally you either have to. Well, Previously, you just looked at dates and you tried to book a space and they were only released from a few months ahead of each each time. And then they've been having this really ridiculous lottery system where you enter a lobby, a waiting room, and you get a given a number and your number might go through to the booking page or it might not. I think I've played 11 times and only once I went through to the waiting room and then the dates were just they were the next day and two days later, so there were no flights. And I can't, like, just get up and, you know, it wasn't – I was really playing it just to see, see how it worked because I didn't really need to get to New Zealand. But because I couldn't, I wanted to. <laughs> and I wanted to whinge about it like everyone else because, yeah, there could be a time. And then at Christmas time, my dad had a really major operation. And and normally if I had had, like just before Christmas, he'd had it rescheduled many times. It wasn't something that was critical, but he was quite debilitated. And that is when I would have gone, you know, and if I, you know, I would have like, all right, I'll go, I'll just nip over for a couple of weeks. But when you've got to spend two weeks in that managed isolation with two farting children, <laughs> just like, no. And I just couldn't get a space either. So that was like, and what angered a lot of New Zealanders outside is that during the, the whole process um, and there were some fairly desperate cases that that uh, the government still allowed in sports people and um, and non-citizens and non-residents who were in the entertainment business. So D, there was most prominently was a DJ who had three visits to New Zealand um, to play events and then famously skipped out of managed isolation and quarantine. Well, he had self-isolation, but he went to parties into a club <clears throat> with when he had um, Omicron. And they let the wiggles in, which is it's always a bad idea to have the wiggles anywhere, but they let them into New Zealand <laughs> to play concerts to keep the morale up for children. Personally, I think that was a kind of punishment, but, you know, that. <laughs> so people were saying, well, hang on, how come that, Expats are um, deemed a risk and and are battling for these spaces in the managed isolation and quarantine. And then um, you let in the Bangladesh cricket team, Pakistani cricket team, and all their entourage and things like that. And the reason was given is it was for business, but they were just as much a risk as you know anyone else. So, Bridgie, this has been going 
on now for how long have they had this in place? I think they've had it. It's been a good, I think, 22 months or something like that since the first outbreak. They've had various, you know, different um, systems, and the last system has been particularly cruel. Um, and now they have now opening up for self-isolation. So man managed isolation and quarantine will now, I believe, be scrapped for people who are vaccinated. And from the 17th of February, lots of Kiwis, who mostly Kiwis who are abroad, are in a lot, most of them are in the highest percentage in Australia, and they are allowed to come in and do self-isolation. We're um, still a wee bit ironic because people who are in the community aren't, you know, then it's not as strict for them. So you still, if you're double vaccinated, boosted, and then you still have to self-isolate. I guess coming from places like Western Australia where there's actually no cases. So it's very bizarre. Um, and then I think from the 20s, maybe the beginning of March or the very you know, beginning of March, 17th of March, something like that, you can then go from the rest of the world. But I think as restrictions are that you have to be boosted, you have got to be vaccinated. Yeah. And then you do self-isolation. And the rules haven't been really made clear. I spoke to my parents and said, would you have um, – you know, would, would, can we come and stay at your house and do the self-isolation? But I'm not sure if you're going to be able to do that. And I write, do you, well, in theory, could we come? Because would you have us? Mm. They've been made to feel like that, that COVID is a really, really fatal disease. I understand your point of that there is a level of fear that comes because you're, you're keeping the big bad monster out. Do you feel do you feel like returning to New Zealand will be like having coffee with an ex boyfriend? I think it'll be very strange because I feel like there's been I mean you see lots of people comment on on you know both publicly and also just on the in on any forums and things and they're really rude about oh well you've gone <clears throat> you're the person who went abroad. And where before we would probably talk about you and say, well, oh, isn't that amazing? When Bridgie lives in Saudi Arabia. They're like, oh no, no, it was, why did you do that? You shouldn't have left New Zealand in the first place. And, uh, you know, like, you're just coming back now. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, there's a, there's a real, there's a really nastiness and it's separated the country, I think, from expats and then people who live there. Um, it's really, and, and, and my, my parents feel that, like people have said, my mum is particularly, like she, she, they cope. They're pretty hard. They don't really. They're not emotive kind of people. But my brother and his wife had a little girl in October of nineteen, and they've never seen her. And that's the that's the part of grandchildren that my mother loves best when they can't answer back. And anyway, she speaks Norwegian, but <laughs> she has missed those like the baby cuddles, and she just gets so upset when you start talking about it because she's like, I just oh, I'm my granddaughter, and I haven't. And of course, I've got two boys. She does have another granddaughter but um she's older and it just it's she that's for him she's really missed out but she says well you know they had to close the border and I'm like, well it didn't have to be so tight so um yeah and i think that the problem is that they haven't done anything during like there's not been a big surge in, in health in icu units they haven't really New Zealand, it seems, they shut the border, they shut down, we're all right, we're fine, we're just miles away. And they are anyway. Like, it's always such a mission to get to New Zealand. Um, and then and then they haven't really developed, apart from vaccinating. But, but I mean, New Zealand is, you know, 5 million people, so it, it doesn't take long to, to oh. get it done. How do you think it's affected how you feel about New Zealand? It feels like it's been a dictatorship. I mean, I know they've had a pandemic and they had to manage it in a, in a certain way, but people, there's been decisions made and policies put in place that there's been no consultation on. And one thing I will definitely do when I do go back, which will probably be in July, is make sure I'm eligible to vote because if you're out of the country for three years, you aren't able to vote anymore. But... I would, you know, because I would like to be a little bit more involved in what's going on because it does affect you. I, mean, I haven't always voted in the past, <laughs> um, but I think as it affects my family, I will definitely be going to vote now. But I do feel like they've just isolated. So hang on, us. how will, how will you be able to vote if, because you've been out of the country? Do you mean if you're out of the country, 
just for without going back in or yes yes like, so, yeah. so if you are if you haven't visited new zealand in ah. three years you cannot vote so right but even as if you do just come and visit you then get your right back to vote again yes get your right back to that's vote. that's huge yeah. yes so that and and that's that, that was up for debate, but I think the current government probably won't do that because there's a big Facebook movement called the Grounded Kiwis, and they are taking the government to court over human rights with this uh, managed isolation and quarantine system that was in place, and the in the how um, unequal it is it? It's got quite a number of lawyers um, who are expats, and it's been funded by a lot of wealthy individuals. So. The court case has already been put off once because the government had to gather more evidence. But it'll be interesting to see the outcome of that. It's definitely still going ahead, even though the borders restrictions have been lifted. So, yes. And yeah. so uh, with grounded Kiwis, so they're all currently Kiwis who are outside of um, New Zealand who have been trying to get back in and haven't been able to. And also people who are inside New Zealand and wanted to get out and also be guaranteed a space to get back because quite a number of people have, you know, or maybe they're recent immigrants to New Zealand and they want to get out. And they're the people who his voice is heard very little of. I can't remember what the stats are, but Ki Kiwis are, you know, prolific travellers. And so many New Zealanders don't live in New Zealand. Like they're well known for it. And I can't imagine how this has affected the collective New Zealand psyche. Mm. Well, there's a sixth, there's a sixth of the population are, are abroad. So there's a million. Wow. And then there's five million sheep inside. <laughs> One million sheep outside. <laughs> Who perhaps they're the black sheep. <laughs> it's heartbreaking to listen to to someone who has to has those feelings and has been not been able to get back for so long. There are a couple of things that struck me there. One about the about the being able to vote. So going back and then being able to register to vote again. I was like, I wish Australians yes. could do that because that's something that is very interesting to me because we always have that conversation about if you're an overseas resident, you, you can't vote after three years or six years or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was about the Grounded Kiwis group and they have been very – they have really stuck together, that grounded Kiwis. Like I've seen them a lot over the last couple of years. Whereas with the Australians, there are also Australians who are suing the government, but there's all these sort of little uh, different mm. expat groups that sort of grew up together. Whereas grounded Kiwis has been more of a of, of a cohesive unit. I think they've done the one team yeah. thing that, that yeah. I know they don't like Jacinta talking about, but that, that they've done that very well and they've sort of kept cohesive and together during that time. Whereas I feel like Australians were for a long time in a similar position to Kiwis. And at one stage I remember saying to you, gosh, I think the mix system's better than our system because with our system you just book a ticket and you, your flight could be cancelled any time. Like at least with their system, you know yeah. that you got a place before you book your ticket. But then like it's just so brutal and I did my thinking did change on that. Uh, and also interesting hearing Bridgie say about like just playing for fun, like just seeing if she could get into the waiting room <laughs> like, of the system. And then, and then also um, – like and then she got in there, but then she couldn't choose anything because it was always the d next day or the day after. So you can imagine like the desperate people that were in there and yes. had to choose that because they had no other option. Yeah. I just like it's just heartbreaking. It's yeah. heartbreaking. I mean, I have had a broken heart about Australia, but it's, you know, it's I just feel, I really feel for the Kiwis as well. I, I would I think we could take the argument that they maybe have had it the hardest. I see this with Western Australia and I have a girlfriend who's in Western Australia now and she, she gave up drinking um, this last year. And without thinking, I said to her, oh, um, gosh, giving up drinking, COVID, that's, that's, you know, commendable. And she said, we haven't had COVID. And she's absolutely right. They haven't. They haven't had any COVID. They've yeah, had nothing yeah. that would cause you to go, God, I need a drink tonight. They haven't locked down. They haven't They haven't had uh, any of They haven't QR checked. They haven't masked. They haven't done whatever. And I, and I understand 
that feeling because we had, you know, very similar situation here in South Australia. Life went on as normal. And so I can see the side of it of, well, why on earth would you bring in COVID when life is tracking along as you know, normal, inverted commas, because it is easy. Life is very easy when you can see how it is for everybody else. Um, But I also think, unfortunately, what comes with that is fear because you have this enormous fear of the big bad monster that's coming your way and when you're going to open the door and let the monster in. So I I, I, I understand why you'd want to keep the monster at bay and keep having big dinner parties and dancing in nightclubs and footy grand finals and all those things and why you would try and hold off for as long as you can when you've watched the effect that it's had on the rest of the world. But I think that feeling of fear then, and you can't call it xenophobia because it's against your own people. <laughs> so, but it, it promotes this fear of others and or othering I guess there's us who are in here and there's you who are not and we're too frightened to let you in um and it just created just an awful awful situation didn't it and and those comments that you read on different articles and the things that people said and particularly you know I think what stuns me the most with New Zealand is they are such um ferocious travellers you know like they love to travel and you meet kiwis all over the world hats off to kiwis and you know i i look forward to seeing some of them happily reunited with family and i hope that you know they their family that because they're also scared because that's 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 what's being propagated in order to create the feeling within the country that this is what we should do so you know this is what we were talking about you know, sort of in the middle of last year when people from Europe were travelling to North America and North Americans weren't that keen to see them. <laughs> They're like, yeah. what, are you, what are you bringing? And so you're right, there's a lot of othering going on and people can see how that is translates and they feel, well, this doesn't usually happen to me. And, you know, I'm not saying that's yeah. a good thing, but perhaps that can make them more empathetic when they see othering going on in other situations in, in different environments. So. Yes. Kirsty, we've talked a lot about comments that people make online and we've talked now about the othering that happens between um, within and between and within communities. Can you give an example of something that Bridgie's happened to her or that someone's commented about? Yeah, I can, unfortunately. And this is really recent and Bridgie just sent it to me in a, me- in a message and luckily she's got a sense of humour because she wrote you know, in inverted commas, this is just some fan mail. So Bridgie and her son did an interview for Grounded Kiwis that sort of went on social media and they talked about, you know, basically he wanted to see his grandparents and she talked about in similar vein of our interview of like what it's like not to have been able to get home. So this is something that someone wrote to her online. So just imagine receiving this message. It says, you are not entitled to come back to New Zealand. You're just entitled, full stop. How do you think New Zealand got through this without many deaths? By excluding the likes of you and your expat brats, that's how. Your vaccines probably aren't even legal or legit. I mean, Saudi, for Christ's sake. You must have hated New Zealand a lot to move there but now you're still whinging about coming home. I'll tell you what, take your tax-free private jet and go anywhere but New Zealand because you're not welcome, you plastic Kiwi. So that just gives you an idea of what people get when they when they put themselves out there and they talk about their stories. But there's so much about that and, you know, Nikki, we're, we're preaching to the converted because this is an expat podcast so we know that other people would have felt felt that just as much. But, I mean, so much like you said, Nikki, with um, you don't get any tax-free dollars in Denmark. You probably pay more tax than anyone could ever imagine. 
paying and, and none of us are on private jets. We've all seen my hillbilly business class where I push my three seats together when I travel economy. Um, but, yes, we do have lots of fantastic benefits of being able to travel, not that we've been able to do that for the last couple of years. But seriously, take your expat brats and your your vaccine's not even legit. I mean, come off it. God. Yeah, no. And that's that's really tough. So lots of love to all the Kiwis everywhere. Yeah. Okay, Nikki, kicking off with our three favourite things, I'm going to be so boring because I know I keep talking about And Just Like That, which is the new <laughs> Sex and the City. No, what? I've never heard you discuss that. <laughs> oh, gosh. I watched the final episode. I absolutely loved it. I still take it very personally when I hear people say how much they hated it. I saw Clementine Ford uh, wrote on uh, her Facebook page today that she hate-watched every inch of it and she will hate watch the second season if there is one (laughs) i loved it i love the ending i cried i talked to my uh, cousin bianca about this as well she said she cried at all the same moments that i did it did everything beautifully in um what you would have hoped for of of those iconic fashion moments and scenes. But what I have loved is the podcast. There is a, and just like that, um, the writer's room, and they go through each episode and they bring in who they brought in as a new writer um, because they obviously brought in new writers to refresh and to um, create the stories of their new characters and so you get an insight into those new characters and what happened and and how they went sort of episode by episode um, it is fantastic it, it just I have absolutely like binged through every episode and now what I'm going to do <laughs> is go back and re-watch the series because now that I've listen to the podcast you can't help but want to go back and pay attention to those like secret little bits and pieces they've told you so that's my first one is the podcast if you are a fan of um and just like that now nikki you know i'm a survivor fan and survivor australia has i started. saw it was coming back <laughs> but for those of you who are watchers of the u.s survivor you have to watch Australian Survivor because they have brought Sandra over to Australia. Sandra is the the absolute queen of Survivor in the US. So Sandra has come over and this, you know, all Survivors have a theme. This one is blood, the water or whatever they're calling it. Basically, you bring in a loved one. So Sandra has brought, brought in her daughter um, and so you've got, You've got a couple of old Survivor players where you've got husband and wife or father and daughter or, you know, rugby star and cousin or whatever. Um, And so it looked great for, oh, okay, they're going to, you know, match all these pairs up together. And then in episode one, they split them up so that they all have to play against each other. So you see. Yes, that would be the point. Yeah. (laughs) You see, uh, it is absolutely brilliant. I've loved it, loved it. Okay, and my third one is a series that um, a a lot of people in Australia have talked about called Love Me, uh, which I I could reel off the names of people in it, but I I have to say I didn't recognise any of the actors apart from Hugo Weaving. It's a six-part series. It is absolutely brilliant but what I have loved in our little quick research before we started the podcast Nikki is the discovery that it's actually based on a Swedish series and the original title of the Swedish series and I'm sorry to any of our Swedish listeners it's I think it's Olska Mig which is A-L-S-K-A but the first A no oh tell me and I'm like yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. no, it's an umlaut. So it won't be A, it'll be E or L or something like that. <laughs> yes, thank you. Sorry, Swedes. Yes. <laughs> so um, what I loved about this series is um, we go through sort of three generations. Um, but 
uh, I watched this when when my husband G was here. So I watched it. I watched it about six weeks ago. So if I'm a bit hazy, forgive me. But what I really like, so it sort of kicks off. Mum and Dad live together. Mum is an invalid. She's had um, a health episode that is basically has her fairly well bedridden. You know, Dad has to pick her up to move her, to shower her, to put her back into bed, to take her hit, to do whatever. And she's angry. And he's he's been a lawyer for 30 years and he just waits, waits on her, you know, all the, all the time. Um, I imagine there's an, a, a bit of guilt, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Daughter is um, an anaesthetist and plays the classic busy um, professional living in the city. And then she has a younger brother who is selfish and um, self-motivated. And uh, it's one of those great series where it's all very complex and the relationships are really rich and there's a lot to think about. Um, There's great comedy in it as well. Um, But what I loved with this is you have three generations of sex scenes. Hugo Weaving um, gets it on and and it really is quite striking in you go, oh, my gosh, you don't see 60-year-old people having sex in television series anymore and really good sex. No. Like like (laughs) really hot, good sex. And it's like, wow. Thank you. Um, and, and and now I'm wondering whether I need to thank the Swedish for this. Like, would this not have happened yeah. if this wasn't a Swedish series? Like, would the Australians would have done that? I don't know. It's really well done. It's beautiful. And I absolutely loved it. So they're my three things for this week. What about you? Okay. So for me, I'm The Gilded Age, which is a new TV series on HBO and the podcast that goes with it. So I'm just looping them in together because I'm not going to separate them because I'm talking about them in the same week. So the cast of The Gilded Age is amazing. So Christine Baranski is in it. Miranda's been very busy, Kirsty, from Just Like That because Cynthia Nixon is also playing one of the lead roles. They pay the ageing establishment old money aunts to Marion Brooks, who is the actress Louisa Jacobson, and I Googled her, and I was like, this seems weird. She's also known as Louise Gummer, which is another one of Meryl Streep's daughters. So Meryl and Don, Don Gummer, have four kids, and they're all actors. Now, I've seen her other two other daughters in other movies and shows, but I can't remember seeing this particular actor before. So I was very interested to go down that little rabbit hole of this is Meryl Streep's daughter. Um, the, there is a, a a role in that, and so they're sort of the old establishment um, money, and then the new money. Now, the Gilded Age is a time in the US when um, there were there was the old money, so the people that came on the Mayflower, etc., and then there were these people who were new money, who were making money through the railroads and industrial revolution kind of stuff going on, and apparently it was all very. Fancy, because if you listen to the podcast, it explains it to you because there's a historian is one of the Uh, podcast hosts. And they talk about how the two societies had to come together because if they didn't come together, then the whole thing would have exploded. Like they couldn't keep their whole system going basically. So, But this particular time period that they've chosen is a time when this was just starting to happen. And Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of friction in society. But the the new money, Carrie Coons plays a a role um, that was meant to be played by Amanda Peet, who who I know. Carrie Coons is in The Leftovers. Have you seen The Leftovers? No. It's a great show that I've recently just rewatched. But she plays this new money, the the wife of of a railway baron, and she is brilliant. I love her so much and I cannot see Amanda Peet in this role at all. Um, anyway, Christine Baranski ha- is amazing. She is like the Duchess, the Dowager Countess in this piece. Like she had this, this line last week because she said, and someone said to her, it's just a fact. She said, I'm not concerned with facts, not if they interfere with my beliefs. You know, it's just like, it's just got this really like, you know, I don't yeah. care. This is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be. And Julian Fellows created it. So that's, that's, I'm giving you the downturn. Yeah. Um, 
the length. Imagery yeah. there. So it's been called a, a cut price downturn, but I just don't think it is. I just think, you know, it's about America in this particular time in America. And it also has the upstairs, downstairs thing going on. So there's yeah. a whole separate themes of the, the help in all the houses. And it's just amazing. And if you listen to the podcast and you hear, you know, the location people, Julian Fellows, the historian, like it's, it's, it's a really great podcast. So I would, I would recommend doing the jewel thing. So listening and oh, watching them together. Okay. That's my first one. Big, big, strong recommend. Um, I'll come at anyone. It's a hill I'll die on. So anyone who wants to disagree with me, come and come, come speak to me. <laughs> I, the next one is I found Samantha Kirsty. She's not in and just like that. She's in How I Met Your Father. Oh. which is the new series. She's not in Paris at all. She's on a couch in 2050 telling her son through a TV screen how she, as Hilary Duff in 2022, met her father. So this series is, uh, there of course was a series called How I Met Your Mother and um, this is a brother or sister show in that it's How I Met Your Father. It's not the same couple, of course. It's a different story. And but they work in the same bar and the same apartment. It's got an updated cast in terms of diversity of color and sexual preference, and it's yeah. a bit more modern than the original. But it's it's a good show. I'm quite enjoying it. It's just a little bit of a uh, an easy watch. And every time I see it, I'm like, "There's Samantha." <laughs> All right. Now my third one is something I messaged you about. I I went to Hamburg last week for work, and I it's a five hour drive, and I was driving home. And I messaged you, I'm like, I'm listening to this podcast. It's amazing. I can't wait to talk to you about it. I'm yes. loving it, loving it, loving it. And it's called The Trojan Horse Affair. It's the new podcast from Serial, uh, so way back Serial Times. And Brian Reed of S-Town is one of the hosts. And the mm-hmm. other host is Hamza Syed. Uh, yeah. It is quite compelling So on so many levels. And I loved it and loved it and loved it. And then I... And for, I'm going to do spoilers. Sorry, everyone. I've listened to the whole thing. But when I got to the last episode, I was so pissed. I needed to talk to someone immediately about who, who'd listened to it. So I, I may have pushed some people I know into listening to the whole thing. <laughs> so come back to me and talk to me about the last episode. But basically, Serial, it's it's a big production, right? So it's it's been recorded over a series of years oh. because – um, you know, things happened in it three and four years ago and, and two years ago. So they, they've really, and I just, I just wonder, so, all right, I'll go back to the beginning. It tells a story. So the Trojan horse affair, and I remember vaguely when it was explained to me in the podcast, hearing about it in international news, but I didn't really understand anything about it. I just thought, okay, fine. Hmm. Trojan Horse Affair is about a letter that was written that was discovered in UK school system about there being a takeover of radical Islamists of the public school system in the UK, in this particular area of Birmingham. And so it went up to government levels and there were all these things enacted and put in place to stop the particular this particular process that was outlined in this letter that was anonymous and nobody ever investigated who wrote the letter. They just went off to work on all the things that were in it. Nothing in it was ever proven, (laughs) but they just enacted all these things in government and in local school uh, council-related things based on this particular letter. So Brian Reed, who is is the host of S-Town, is at a speaking gig in the UK and and somebody who is a journalism student who has left being a doctor (laughs) and has decided to do a master's in journalism comes and speaks to him about this particular case that he's studying for his master's thesis and would he have any interest in it. And um, that's Hamza Syed. And uh, Brian Reid says, yeah, sure, let's look at that. And then so... The ca- so then we investigate over the course of two or three years, I'm not sure however long they did, their relationship. So it's about, it investigates the Trojan horse affair. You know, serials, I mean, the people that do this, they're obviously way cleverer than me and they spend a lot of time doing scripting and story arcs and editing mm-hmm. and deciding how to tell a story. It tells the story of, you know, um, 
race and privilege in regards to the UK, in regards to the schooling system and the experience of Pakistani immigrants in the UK. And it's like a textbook for Americans on what it is, because it's still an American podcast, even though it's got this UK host and it's all pretty much all the interviews and everything are done in the UK. Mm. Um, So it's like, it's interesting because um, they're always explaining things for the American audience. You know, this is what this means when you're referring it to in the point of... It's really a great podcast. I really enjoyed listening to it. To give some context about why I hated the last episode, I wrote here, the ending blows. So you know it took years to make because you've heard them talk about, you know, dates and whatever. In the last episode, they go to Perth and they try and track someone down in Perth. Yeah, I could see you looking at me. What's the timing meant to be? Yes. So this is the thing. No one has been able to fly to Perth for over two years, right? Uh-huh. So the last episode in a podcast released last week is more than two years old, as in the findings from this episode are more than two years old, and this is the last episode in the whole thing. And when they said they're going to Perth and it was the last episode, I'm like, this is crap. Like I was listening to it going, regardless of what happens, like this is two years ago at least that they've gone to Perth yeah. because you can't just fly to Perth. And if they'd gone during COVID, which they never would have been able to because you have to be Australian to get into Australia and Western Australia has been the tightest shutdown yeah. area of all time. So that's what makes it, it makes it so frustrating to me. I was like these very clever people who understand narrative storytelling and but it's over two years ago that they right. went. And this is the last episode of a podcast released last week. This is a brand new podcast. Right. And in the last episode, they're doing something two years ago. It's just, I don't know, if anyone's listening and they've listened to the Trojan Horse, I'm very welcome to your opinion. So just tell me, does that affect the story though? Like does it matter if it was more than two years ago? It doesn't affect the story because the outcome of the story doesn't change. Right. And I think that they only put in that they went to Perth because it obviously cost so much to do the whole thing, right? right. They went to Perth. They Three of them went to Perth and maybe they had more production people. I don't know. Like they had to tell the story of going and knocking on doors in Perth because otherwise yeah. they obviously spent a lot of money on this part of the podcast for for no audio time, right? But then, and the podcast ends in the same way as Serial and other podcasts, you know, that is slightly dissatisfying because. That because if they had uncovered it, we would all know by now. Yeah. (laughs) Correct. Right. So without spoiling anything, that's the kind of thing. Yeah. I I really enjoyed it and it wouldn't, I, I strongly recommend it, but it, there were still some problematic things in it for me. Now, I've read, I've gone out and searched reviews. It's quite a new podcast, so there's not super lots of reviews yes. in place. I feel but like, I couldn't I feel find like, anything Nikki, that um, came up. I feel like I'm in the same situation as when you'd watched Succession and you were just needed to speak to someone who had watched the last <laughs> episode of Succession and you were beside yourself. Like, can you remember? And I'm now that I've watched Succession, I'm guessing it must have been the episode where there's something involving a car and a lake or yeah. is, is that what it was? Yeah. And you were, you were yeah, like, I, I need to talk to someone about this. This is so huge. Uh, yes, and I feel that I'm once again letting you down because I haven't listened to the podcast, but I'll, I will have a listen and I'll see if I'm as invested as you. Talking about like going, doing massive things for final episodes, did you see? And just like that goes all the way to Paris so she can walk across one bridge and then yeah. pack up and go all the way home again. <laughs> all right. Well, Nikki. All right. Um, I'll speak to you next week. Yes. Bye now. Bye.